Hello, and welcome to the King Heroes Journey podcast. My name is Beth Martins. I'm the host, and I have Robert Phoenix with me here today. Pretty excited. It is fantastic timing. Welcome to everybody who's going to be uh, just jumping on right now. We already have some people in the chat. Richard Johnson is excited. Inkpod is looking, looking, sending some love to you. I know you have a great, very loyal audience. Rabbit Underground, welcome. And I'm going to get... Glenda's here. Excellent. I'm going to get Rockfin on the go and send a link out if anybody for any reason prefers to be over there in a less censored platform. I forgot to mention, Robert, we are, uh, I'm on two out of three YouTube strikes here. So we have to speak in some code when we want to talk I'm about good at code. You're good at code. Excellent. Excellent. I always make it, it sounds like we're talking uh, in, you know, gibberish sometimes or even like children, but we'll just, uh, let that be what it is and accept the opportunity to be here. And uh, yeah, Glenda says you're blurry, but I, it's, I can see him fine. Hello, T. Jordan. Welcome to the stream. And uh, and I think we are good to go. So Rockfin is happening. Welcome to the people over on Rockfin. Christine Mosey. Hey, chatters. <laughs> I like that. And Susie is here. Nice. And we're both blurry. Hmm. Well, my... Connection seems okay from here. Can you see me all right, Robert? Beth, I can see you fine. Um, okay. Okay. Yeah. So can you see me okay? Can you see me yes. all right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You're looking fine to me. Okay. So we'll just go with it, what we have here. I uh, Let's see. If anybody is new to this channel, I just want to let you know that uh, the King Heroes Journey podcast is where I like to host those who are not afraid of being... Uh, attacked and called out for bringing forth opinions that don't match up with the mainstream, that they're willing to take the hits and go forward with their truth. I have personally a renewed interest in astrology for a couple of years. I was going down the Christian rabbit hole and, you know, just looking at it and seeing, is it something that's like satanic or evil or something like that? And I just, I've just come full circle all the way to the other side. Our topic here is going to be archetypes because that's my favorite subject. I'm the author of Journey, a map of archetypes to find lost purpose in a sea of meaninglessness. There is the eight archetypes of the hero's journey. And astrology is all archetypes. So I've never personally studied it. I know that, uh, Robert, this has been your, your whole, um, you've been a practicing astrologer since 2008, done thousands of personal readings. In 2013, he produced and presented 24 episodes of the 11th House on Gaia TV. That's fantastic. It broke new ground in mundane astrology and to this day is some of the most viewed astrology on Gaia. Uh, he continued the 11th House on YouTube where he creates content on a daily basis from the astro weather to the Friday, Friday forecast and Sunday night astro live. I, I particularly appreciate the astro weather because it's always just right on, on the time and on the money. And uh, he uh, also hosts 15 Minutes of Fame on his own channel, 15 Minutes of Fame. And you can visit him at his website, robertphoenix.com. And there's also a website, 15 Minutes of Flame, spelt with a V, by the way, .com. And I'm going to grab that link for the chat so people can. That's under construction or reconstruction, by the way. Oh, under construction for now. Okay. So, yeah. all right. That's, yeah, that's totally fine. And I think without further ado, let us start talking. So 
Hello, Flat Earth Hippie. Nice to see you. Got a lot of Flat Earthers around here. Do you, do you consider yourself a Flat Earther, Robert? No, but you I'm don't. not a Globe Earther either. Ah, good. Yeah, right. I know it's a very tricky, it's a very tricky question. You answered it perfectly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's not my hill to die on, but they can't prove the globe. So I'm just like, yep, that's uh, right. If, like if anything, I think it's closer to an egg. An egg. Okay. Nice. Nice. Because the egg seems to be a universal symbol, right? Mm. It has a universal shape, but it's certainly not a globe. And um, yeah. And I, and I think it's way more strange and weird than we can begin to wrap our heads around. I hear you. I hear you. Yeah. And uh, before we jump in with some specific questions, do you want to just let people know what inspired you in the first place to be doing this, what you're doing right now? Uh, yeah. So I didn't start off with a plan. It, it, so it just kind of happened or, organically in a lot of ways. So I had a period in the 90s where I was um, really kind of going into that Pluto and Scorpio period. Like Pluto was on my ascendant at that time. It was a really very powerful time. It was very dark, but also um, I learned a lot about um, power and the occult and just a lot of really interesting things. Some of which had some deeper repercussions in my life. And during that period, I started to do um, a lot of tarot reading. And it was an interesting kind of evolution. Um, I had answered an ad in the uh, SF Weekly or The Guardian. I forget which one, but it was one of those weekly papers. And it was these two women who lived in San Francisco. And they were starting their own psychic network. So this was must have been around 93, I think. And they had partnered with this guy who had worked for Pac Bell. So he knew how to deal with all the various phone systems. Um, I guess what back in the day was what, 888 numbers or something like that. And I actually had to travel to their, they had a like a storefront uh, in San Francisco. And these two women were, were psychics. So I had to actually travel to their storefront to audition for them and do readings for them, which I did because I was, I was very much into the Tarot at that time. And so they said, yeah, why don't you, why don't you work for us? So I started doing that and that was a really interesting period. And, you know, so I was wired to the phone, right. And a call could come in at any time. And I actually liked working at night. So I would get all these calls from all these, mostly women, every now and then I'd get a man, but mostly women all across America. And I was using the Crowley deck at the time. And I was very, uh, very much in, involved with like anything that was psychic. You know, I was really into um, remote viewing, like what I consider to be remote viewing at that time. And when I was using the cards, I was able to like describe where people lived uh, on the other side of the phone, or I could describe what their partner looked like. And it was a really, really powerful time. I, there was this gal who lived in Colorado, we were friends. And so we would do these psychic experiments with each other. 
<clears throat> on a daily basis. And the whole idea was for us to tune in to each other during the day and that at night we would get on the phone and I would describe to her what her day was like and she would describe me what my day was theoretically like. And it was interesting because I felt like I was on target a lot of the time um, with my assessment of what she was doing. And it was just kind of in the air. And so I learned a lot from that period. And then eventually I left the psychic network and just started to do tarot readings on my own for people. And that was basically from like 94 to about 99. So for about five years, that's what I was doing. And it was a really interesting model. I, I mean, a lot of it was word of mouth and I would have people call me from all over the country and I would do readings for them and I wouldn't use a credit card reader or anything. I'd say, just, just send me a check. So these checks would just show up in my mail. And um, I think I only had one person ever stiff me during that period. And it was really, really cool. And some of them would be recurring people. And then I would start to read at like the whole Life Expo. And I started to get hired out for events. And I knew this one gal who worked for Donna Karen. So she was the Bay Area sales rep for Donna Karen, which was a pretty big territory and a lot of it really high end, San Francisco, Palo Alto. And Donna Karen apparently had some kind of interest in new age spirituality. Her uh, some of her perfumes started to resemble the shape of crystals. So I was hired by this woman who was the Donna Karen sales rep in the Bay Area to go into Macy's and do tarot readings um, for her products, right? So there was a lot of really interesting overlap during that time. And eventually I wound up uh, getting into dot-com at the end of the 90s. So that kind of curtailed my my tarot world or my tarot kind of, well, not my development, but I just started making money in a more, you know, sort of nine to five way. And so I did that from 2000 to 2005. I was, I was in uh, the dot-com music world. So I worked for a company where we sold digital downloads, MP3s, which is no longer in business. It was a great job. It's about the only job I could do that would have been a corporate job. And eventually I, I cycled out of that and wound up uh, getting married, having a kid. And um, from about 2006 to 2008, I kind of re-entered that world a little bit, but it wasn't really a, a very good fit. And then in 2008, must've been around, I don't know, July or August, I had a blog and I wasn't really doing much with it. I was starting to explore the parameters of some of my interests. And Sarah Palin was named as John McCain's running mate. And I thought, well, who is this person? Well, why don't I look at her chart? So I put Sarah Palin's chart up, what I thought was her chart. And then I, I did a breakdown of it. And there's this woman named Elsa, who at that time was, this is, you know, this is a very different world. I mean, you didn't upload to YouTube. Um, podcasts weren't even really around. You know, the main form of sharing information was on websites and blogs, and blogs were just starting. So this woman, Elsa, was an aggregator, and she got all of these RSS feeds. And if you wanted to learn about different astrologers, that was the place to go. 
So she started to pick up my content. Unbeknownst to me, she grabbed that that uh, my breakdown of Sarah Palin's chart, and I was going through the stats on my my website. I was like, "Whoa, look at this!" I mean, it was just like you know, parabolic up and to the right. And then I thought to myself, "I should do more of this astrological content." And then the next thing I did was a post on Obama, and that was equally popular right and that was very archetypal uh and and this was when nobody knew very much about obama and there is this picture of him where he's coming out of the ocean and he's on the beach it's a fairly well-known picture and i thought to myself this is archetypal right like the ocean is our collective you know unconscious right and he's emerging from it, you know, and he's sort of this Neptunian figure and he's glistening, right? He, it's almost like he's, you know, being born out of this psychic, you know, amniosis, right? And I, I thought it was a very interesting, I didn't like him at the time. Um, I didn't, because I, you know, my, my spidey senses were like, no, do not trust, do not trust this man. Right. And but that was a, a clearly a staged picture because it presented him as being transparent. Right. It was just him in a pair of swim trunks. That's it. And he's emerging onto our imagination. And he could have been anybody, but he was fresh and new in you know, still glistening from his emergence from this kind of collective ocean of consciousness. And I contrasted it with a, an image of Kennedy back in the day, because there's an image of Kennedy where Kennedy's on the beach and he's wearing swim trunks. But unlike Obama, he is surrounded by women. Right? Again, clearly a stage picture because it, they wanted to demonstrate Kennedy's virility um, but yet it's still within proximity of the ocean, right? So it, it is still connected to this kind of Neptunian sense of possibility, right? That, 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 that Kennedy clearly was demonstrating and even more so with Obama. So that was my second post and it was definitely an archetypal one. And then I started to break it down that it was, the election wasn't as much about, McCain versus Obama, but Obama versus Palin. And um, even astrologically, they represent opposites. Palin's an Aquarian. And if we can believe whatever semblance of Obama's birth certificate, he, he is a Leo, right? And he acts like a Leo. So um, I got into that. And then all of a sudden, Pluto, the, the housing crisis hit. And I believe it was what, October of 2008. And I knew that Pluto was going to ingress into Capricorn. And I thought to myself, this is a harbinger of things to come. And so I did like a 13 part series on Pluto and Capricorn, a lot of which has come to pass and be valid and true about that, that, 
period of time in that changing of the guard with Pluto. And so I did that for very intensely for a year, somewhere, I don't know when, in uh, 2009, somebody asked me to do a reading for them. I was like, okay, I can do that. And my first go of it was trying to, you know, type it out. I'm like, no, I'm just going to talk. So I rewired it and they loved it. They thought it was a, a good read. So then I set myself up and did the PayPal thing. And that's when uh, people started to pay me to do astrological readings. And then in 2010, I think it was February of 2010, um, I did my first podcast. And one of my first guests was Jay Whitener. And we talked about his whole Kubrick and uh, the Shining Theory. Uh, Ellis Taylor might have been my second guest. I really, I really love Ellis. He's not many people know about him, which is unfortunate. He's one of the best numerologists um, on the planet, and the way that he goes about numerology is so different than everybody else. And what really caught my attention with Ellis is these very strange anomalous events that would happen to him. Like he was a man that was trapped between worlds. And I bought his book called Dogged Days, which gets into some of those things that in a weird paranormal way have happened to him. And he's still around. I haven't talked to him in a long time, but he was one of my first guests. So in 2010, I started a podcast and most of it was interviews. And at some point I just said, screw it. I'm just going to start to talk into the mic. And this was, Again, all pre-YouTube stuff. This I was using a, uh, an app called Blog Talk Radio, which was quite good at the time. It was basically it was a company that that did conference calls. That was their their bread and butter, and they weren't making it, so they turned it into a podcast. It was a good pivot for them, but eventually they couldn't handle all the bandwidth, and I had to move to another platform. So that was really the the genesis of the astrological stuff. And the sort of the you know the more I got into it, um, especially on what they call a mundane level, the more interesting it got for me. And you, I could see all these correspondences, and I could go back in time and see correspondences. I could look at generations astrologically and and really break those things down, and even more predictive models into the future. I mean, to me, that was really kind of, you know, where the sizzle was. And and it was also a time, at least in 2011, 2010 and 2011, where um, I had a lot of, uh, I had a lot of anger and for a number of different reasons. I was going through a divorce, um, which will always bring up some latent uh, anger and intensity. But I also felt, uh, not personally, but collectively betrayed by gatekeepers. And you and I were talking about controlled opposition before we, we hit the, the, the go button. And this was in response to like the, what was going on with the housing crisis and, you know, how they gamed it and, you know, we're playing with negative amortization and all that stuff. And nowhere during any of that were our, were our so-called spiritual leaders or transformational leaders 
there was nary a peep out of Deepak Chopra or Oprah Winfrey um, or Marianne Williamson um, or Barbara Marks Hubbard. Nothing, right? Nothing. And same, and, with, same with our, our recent situation. Same vacuum. Right. And I, and, and I put those people right in my crosshairs. And I was, uh, you're useless. You're useless people because you only pander to a particular class and a particular mindset. Not one of them stepped out of their ivory tower and said, we have a problem here and we need to address this problem. Mm -hmm. And, you know, over time, I understood why. But and and of course the you know the the ringleader is Oprah, mm-hmm. and if you uh, have a different opinion, mm-hmm. you will. You, back then, she had a very successful talk show. If you had a very different opinion, or your mindset did not follow the status quo, you were never going to get back on her couch. Mm-hmm. If you wanted to sell books, you wanted to be on Oprah's couch. That yep. was bottom line, right? And of course, there were handlers around. And people say, you can't say that. Well, yeah. why not? Well, because Oprah won't invite you back. And of, and, and of course, they're invested because they, you know, they're a publicist or, you know, they're an editor, mostly publicist mm-hmm. or somebody marketing. And, you know, they want their job. You know, they, you know, they want to be attached to somebody who can get on Oprah's couch and sell millions of copies of their books. So there are all these financial incentives that de-incentivize people to speak the truth. So I talk a lot about stuff like that during right that up. time. And, you know, and I would find ways to talk about it astrologically. Um, and so I did a lot of writing. That was the bulk of my communication. And then, and then the podcasts were also a part of it. And I think in 20, a lot of my podcasts, you can still go on my YouTube channel and find a lot of my old stuff, which is just me talking. I did interviews with people too which I really enjoyed Wait. doing. Yeah. Um, I was on I think, there. When was I on your show, Robert? You were on my show, I think about maybe, God, maybe two years ago. 2021-ish. Yeah. I think so, which yeah. was a great show. I really enjoyed you as a guest. You were fantastic. Thank you. Thank you. I um, totally enjoyed being on. And I think in 2015, I, I made the jump to do video on YouTube because YouTube wouldn't, right? So if I just put my recordings on YouTube, it wouldn't, it wouldn't be put into the algorithmic mix because there wasn't an image associated with it. So there was a good chance that it wouldn't pop up in, you know, recommendations. So I, I bit the bullet said, okay, I much, much more prefer radio and just a voice. Um, but you know, these are the tools of the time. So yeah, since 2015, I've been just, you know, doing these live streams. I hardly write anymore, uh, which is kind of a bummer because I enjoy writing, but this is the medium now. And it's so immediate, right? Like I can get up in the morning, come into my studio and do the astral weather and be done in about 40 minutes and move on to the next thing. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of how it all started. And astrology plays a big part of it. Um, I, I like to interview people and, and sometimes it's astrologically related and sometimes it isn't. And sometimes I just like to go up, you know, off the res, as they say, and just attack topics. And sometimes I'll bring astrology into it and sometimes I won't. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of the genesis of how we got here. 
Very good. That's awesome. People were saying how it's nice to hear the backstory because if you just jump in, then you might not know how everything evolved. So I'm really glad that I asked about that. And yeah, uh, it, oh, thank you. And yeah, it sound, we, we, I was going to ask you, how did you wake up to the agendas? But we heard that, eh? the evolution of just seeing how the photos are staged and why are they staged and why are they using that Neptunian uh, archetype which you can see, by the way, right in my my King Hero logo is the trident. So I'm all over that. And I started out talking about mermaids and and then uh, the whole masculine side of that. And they're not they're not mermaids, but they are they are emergence in that uh, from that you know, like as you already named the collective unconscious or consciousness that that soup that we're all drawing from. <clears throat> so that's super interesting and. Uh, um, so what about the time that we're in right now? If we dive in, I, I mentioned to you, I had a, a selfish interest in talking about Capricorn. It just happens to be Capricorn, unless you are one of those people that argues and says that we've got the time system all wrong and this is really Sagittarius. So maybe that, that would, might be a first place to start. Like, where do, where do you come from? Do you get that same thing from people saying it's, it's all wrong? Not too much. I mean, it's it's it clearly it's in the air, and mm -hmm. um, it, it's going to become more of an issue um, as time goes on. Uh, I talked about I put this up on Twitter. I think about a week ago, maybe a little bit longer. I said twenty twenty four is going to be the, the war of the astrologers, and um, there are people that are very attached to their systems. Uh, that's part of it. The other part is going to be people uh, signal to noise, right? And there's a very, there's an older guard of astrology that's out there. And then there's a lot of young and up and coming astrologers that are out there. And I feel like that's going to be an issue, right? Like even I'll be, I'm going to be part of this event in April here in, in, uh, in Texas. And it's a friend of mine and she's doing this three-day event around around the eclipse right this big eclipse in april and she comes out of this school of evolutionary astrology that was started theoretically by stephen forrest right and when you look at stephen forrest and rick levine and a lot of these older astrologers um how do i say this without you getting your third strike um, let's just say that they were in favor of certain protocols that others like you and I were not, and they could not see the forest from the trees. That's number one. Mm -hmm. Number two, politically, they all lean into the progressive side of things. And, we all know where that's gotten us. It's taken us down the path of identity politics, right? Which is not good. And they will, they will support it to the hilt because I think once you get to a certain point in your own personal evolution, it is very hard to change and very hard to break deeply held longer philosophical patterns. And remember these 
older astrologers have Pluto and Leo, and Leo is a fixed sign, right? So it's much harder for them to basically say, I got it wrong, right? They'll double down and they'll triple down. That's not going to sit well with younger astrologers, period. And then clearly this woman who, um, her name is Shannon, um, she is having a break, literally a philosophical break from that world because they're too embedded in a particular ideology that for a very long period of time served them. Mm -hmm. Right. It's kind of more egalitarian, Aquarian, you know, feel good version of the world. And um, mm -hmm. that's, the, you know, as as we move into this coming year where Aries is going to play such a huge role, um, that's not going to fly. Mm -hmm. Right. It's like Libra, which is where the South Node is. It's like, you know, can we all get along? You know, can we just find some balance and some you know, some give and take and some to and fro. And, and uh, you know, that's not the dominant energy right now. The dominant energy is Aries mm. and will be the dominant energy for 2024. Also, it's the year of the dragon. And ah. the dragon is Aries in Chinese astrology, right? So this Aries energy, if we're talking archetypes, that's going to be one of the predominant archetypes. It is the warrior energy. And you know, there's a lot of people and, it, and this goes beyond astrology, but there's a lot of people who have become very comfortable um, in their complacency and rewarded for that, that are going to have a very hard time in, in the days to come because, I, because, be, because the safety of the, of the, of the garden wall is being compromised, right? Like, I don't know how much you, you are following, um, like, what's going on in the world of, like, home security. But there are organized gangs where they use these frequency jammers. And the frequency jammers basically get into these Wi-Fi systems. And these are very well-to-do areas, uh, most recently in Michigan, where they just went in and you know, got into like a dozen of these houses, jam the frequencies. And get, you know, this is what I'm talking about, right? Like the, it's unfortunate because now we're moving into a low trust society and that's going to permeate almost every aspect of what we're doing right now. So I don't know how a lot of these individuals who are entrenched in a particular worldview are going to sort this out. I, it's, you know, it's very challenging for them to come off the roof and say, I was wrong. But mm -hmm. I was wrong about this. And I, and we, I, we really need to rethink this. Yeah. And so this may be the hill that they die on. Um, mm -hmm. And yeah, so I think that's, that's going to be a big deal in, in 2024. And I, I can I, I jump try not to be a doom and gloom person because there's things that can come out of this that I think will be good. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. If I could just jump in. Easy. Right, right. Yeah, sort of interrupt just to jump in about that. You know, it, it, that's what we were facing, say, here locally. And uh, we have a very big love and light community. 
they've pretty much vacated my world because you know they wanted to just like oh we'll just go and na- go and nap and netflix in between and and we'll just keep on doing our uh oh boy i'm gonna get some hate for this but uh you know like where ceremonies and rituals and and all of this kind of stuff and just pretend that's not happening we'll have our own little and it's it sounds like we're not going to be able to love and light our way through this anymore well it, it might be interesting if you invite a handful of migrants over to uh participate in your ritual and your ceremony right <clears throat> right right See where they are with it i mean i completely understand the psychology behind that you know i've, I've lived in or around uh, Marin County for you know a large part of my life. A lot of my friends lived in Marin County, so you know you want to talk like New Age and so, like you know I used to go to parties with David Wolf, right? I mean that was sort of the world, and I I get it, I understand it. I think a lot of these people are really well-meaning. Um, I think that they like to think that there is a good seed in everything and in everyone. And if they just empower that, then those seeds will take root and they'll grow. And that's how the world will change. Um, and there is, I think there's a little bit of truth to that. But, you know, if you want to play with the whole kind of, you know, agricultural metaphor, that takes a lot of work, right? Like if you're going to do that, invariably, there's going to be weeds, Right. There's going to be pests and you have to deal with the weeds and the pests in order to, you know, grow your crop and to get the greatest yield. Right. So uh, these are uh, these are just hardcore details of life. And we've become incredibly soft in, you know, our lifestyle and our evolution. This is what happens when. You know, cultures reach a certain level of prosperity. It's just the way it is. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. There's and there's I, I don't I don't have any judgment around it, but you know, for people to uh, understand where all this is going, they're going to have to unlearn a lot of those things pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. Not everybody's going to be up for it or up to it. Well, fantastic answer to that question. That was way deeper than I expected. Uh, by the way, thank you so much, Christine, for the the tip on Rockfin. I didn't want to let that go by unnoticed. I appreciate that very much. And um, yeah, so this this to say personally, I'm happy for this because there, you know, at some point I decided it was truth or bust, and I would rather look bad. I would rather see that I was on a wrong track you know, maybe a little sideways or completely off. It's happened many times in the last three and a half going on four years now where I got onto a certain track and I discovered in in the process, I discovered it was not bona fide. It wasn't real. It was outright deception. It was something like that. And uh, and then, you know, I, I don't know how well I've corrected myself. There have been, there have been a few incidents with like, for example, Don, Daniel Losnick that I hosted on and a bunch of people went and worked with him, and they got completely uh, taken by him. One, one in particular got very badly taken. Luckily, she contacted me, and I was able to take the videos down and that he was using, unfortunately, for his credibility. But uh, just just for uh, disclaimer's sake, I, I want you to say, you know, you're always, just because I'm having somebody on, please don't 
blindly trust them. This isn't the case with Robert, but you know, especially if they're trying to lead you in legal, political, even financial. You know, I've I've uh, had some people on repeatedly, and you can see well, obviously she must like them, but do your diligence, right? Like we always have to see where we're at. And I never mind saying I'm wrong. If I figure that out, it's to me, that's a victory because it means I'm not in that lie anymore. And it can be painful and there might be parts of my book I have to rewrite by now, but uh, <laughs> you know, it's just, it's just such a, a fluid and easy way to be because you're never hiding anything like, Oh, well, I said I was this, you know, I used to say I was a, a, a staunch feminist and now I'll say I'm a recovering feminist. Did the, did the feminists hate me for that? They did. And I had to risk that. And, and did they vacate and say they were disappointed in me? Yes. But I would rather be true to myself at the end of the day. I think the most empowering thing a person can do is to admit they're wrong. I mean, it's incredibly empowering. Um, it, it you know, the old adage, the truth will set you free and it will. I mean, it's, it's it's takes so much labor and effort to carry around something that you know is not right um and and yet you cling to it because for whatever reason you don't want to look you don't want to look bad or you know, you'll feel ashamed or whatever those reasons are but the faster you get there and can move through it the better it is the lighter you are um, it's a really good practice. And if you do your best to stay in the truth, you don't make those mistakes that often. And, um, you know, it's always empowering to say something. Say, I don't know the totality of this, but this is what I believe. Right. And you can give people the opportunity to make up their own minds. Exactly. And, and you know, and there are things that sometimes we come in hot, right? We just, we come in hot. Like at the beginning of 2020, I knew it was coming. I didn't know what form it was going to take, but I knew it was coming. And once again, that was my hill to die on, right? Mm -hmm. And that's everything that I did was kind of based around that. And I don't regret any of that because for me, that none of that met my smell test at all yeah. so once i started to see what was being done to people i was i was incensed even more and that was it was it, it was easy right for me it was easy like this is it right mm -hmm. we, mm -hmm. because that because we are now moving into this phase where um it's a point of no return and we're and we're, we're, we're witnessing it now right and everything that started in 2020 is 2024. You're, you're going to see a much larger group of people become part of a statistical record that um, we probably don't want to look at. And are you talking the uh, vitality stats? That's right. <laughs> yeah, That's right. yeah, yeah, exactly. I shouldn't smile when I say that, but you know, just trying to get the code here. Yeah. And uh, yeah, living in truth, it is risky. It's a real risk. People fear it for a decent reason. But somebody said in the chat, like, it's a burden that you will, uh, you know, have to wear. It will consume your energy. And 
the you know the, the further you go on with anything that you know is not right then you got to layer it up and you got to invest more in it and like you're That's saying right. you got to you know be the champion for it and jump up and down and you don't believe yourself anymore. You're, you won't have credibility with yourself. And that's, that's the, that's a, that's a death right there unto itself. Yeah. So, yeah. 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 Way easier to just go straight with the truth. And it was real interesting, you know, that whole period of 2020, 2021, 20, 2022, it was, you could see, you know, separating the wheat from the terrors. It's like, Oh, this person. Oh, this person. Right. Like you all of a sudden you kind of knew who people were at that point. Exactly. That's what happened. Like, and you mentioned all of those spiritual peeps. Uh, we'll get into it a little bit later, but I'm working on the controlled up archetypes right now to break that down. And, uh, and you were just, you were speaking those archetypes, like those, you know, those that you could put all those uh, spiritual characters in, in the category I'm affectionately calling high end hookers at this point, because they really have been, nobody gets big and uh, hugely successful on their own merit. They People have to lend them merit. And when you get the higher and higher end, you go with that, you've got the sponsors, you've got the publishers, like you said, publicists, you've got um, controlling bodies that without, you wouldn't be the you know, I want to throw out names here. I'm not very good at that, but you wouldn't be you wouldn't be those people. And and without the handlers you talked about in the back end saying like, no, don't say that, or you can't say that, or edit that out, or <clears throat> what that you know that you wouldn't have those guys either. And um, so yeah, it's a, freedom is a, is definitely an inside job. And um, yeah, and usually in most cases, if somebody is really really successful and they have really big numbers it's because they have been enabled to be there. That doesn't mean that they don't have some sort of talent. Um, and I'm sure if we went down the list, we can break some people down and say, well, yeah, it's got some talent, but um, there's an investment in certain people and an investment. Um, like I'll give you an example. Uh, Patrick bet David has become very, very successful. And um uh, I don't, I don't even subscribe to valuetainment, but he's always showing up on my YouTube feed. Well, well, why is that? Right. Well, number one, YouTube is going to, it's more, it's, it's kind of a self-perpetuating cycle in some ways. YouTube is going to make money off of him because he has high numbers. And so they'll promote him, right. And get him more numbers because those numbers result in higher advertising rates for YouTube. So it's kind of this um, symbiosis that, that Patrick, Bet David, and YouTube have. Same with Tim Pool, by the way. And when push came to shove around Israel and Palestine, it was very clear what side of the ledger sheet Patrick, Bet David, and Valuetainment were on. Very clear. And it's like, oh, well, you're going to give us 85 or 90%, which is usually about what you get. And then that, that 10%, you're just going to conveniently leave that off the table, which if you know that it's fine, right? If you know that that's what you're going to get with those people and you may find a conversation on their, their stream, great. But when put, I'll, I'll give you, a, I'll give you an example. So they had 
who was it? I think it might have been Roger Stone on their show. And they were talking about uh, these uh, presidents from Penn and Harvard, right? And um, they had been brought before, I think it was Congress. And this all had to do with the Israeli-Palestinian thing. And there were, of course, uh, radical protesters and this, you know, this theme that there was anti-Semitism on campuses and um, that they were advocating uh, genociding Jews, right? And so these presidents were brought before Congress and they were kind of painted into a corner by certain questions. And by not answering the question, the way that the congresswoman was positing the question that spiritually they were advocating genocide or whatever, right? So as a result of this, I believe the president of Penn had to resign or was asked to step down. And then I think the president of Harvard was close to being dismissed, whatever, right? But their response to this was that these presidents or, or provosts or whatever they are, that they represented woke culture, right? And they were being um, smoked out. And as a, as a result, that this was a good thing, right? That they were just checking this box, like, oh, you see what they stand for? They stand for this, they stand for this, and they stand for this. Therefore, they're woke. Therefore, um, they, they must be eliminated or they must be fired or whatever. And <clears throat> therefore, this line of questioning is good, right? This is a victory for our side. And I would argue that it's not, right? And so you just watch that broadcast and then you automatically know where these guys are coming from. Like not one of them ever asked the question, well, where were they? Where were they when they've been indoctrinating most of our youth with social Marxist theory for the last 30 years in investing millions of dollars to their alma mater? Like they were silent. Like it was... Not that big a deal. But all of a sudden, now when somebody, you know, gets in and starts to you know, wrestle with the JQ, oh, now all of a sudden it's a big deal, right? Now all of a sudden these people are culture heroes. Now all of a sudden they're on the right side of history because they're exposing the woke. They never asked that question. You know, it was like, well, where have they been? Mm -hmm. Only when it... it started to um, affect their own interests, mm -hmm. did all of a sudden this become an issue? Exactly. Right? So exactly. when I saw that on Pat Bet David's show, I was like, oh, well, this may not be the sole reason why Pat Bet David is here, but we know that he's going to be a gatekeeper because that gate is going to be guarded by everybody on that show they're not going to ask those questions. Yeah. Yeah, and exactly. 
Yeah. 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 We saw a lot of those crazy folks and timing, right? <clears throat> it's even media has come forward with all the things that we were saying early on. <clears throat> um, you know, politicians, they came, they were way late. They were like, you know, two years late and and going on three years late. But but by the time everybody or enough critical mass of people know what's going on, then they almost have to appear to be on that side. We've had, you know, Canadian politicians that all of a sudden appear to be the, the you know, the good guy, antithesis to the the anti-hero kind of thing. And it's just, I don't know, I'm I'm super jaded at this point. And uh and we're gonna talk about trust. Is it okay if we if we uh jam Capricorn in here just because like we're in we're in this time now, we're as far as I can tell. And uh, and I'm I'm very interested in you know what is the nature of this time? People have a very difficult time of year. I I could probably make a whole business in my coaching world just helping people through Christmas, and uh, yeah. and the New Year's and everything that that brings up. So what what is it about this? And you've got the Capricorn on your uh, on your screen right back there. So what, yeah. what is it about this time that is uh, getting under people's skin? What do you think? So before we jump into Capricorn, which we will. Um, I wanted to address this whole thing with the different systems. Okay. And uh, it's always interesting to ask people pertinent questions about one system versus another system, right? And so I use Placidus. Um, it's what I was trained in. It's what I trained myself in. It's what I've had a considerable amount of success working with people in, in, you know, and even doing things like prognostications. So when you look at an event like 9-11, you know, what, what do we, what do we see about 9-11 that's so prominent? We see the twin towers, right? Twin towers. What are the twin towers? Well, what are the twins? They're, they're Gemini. And so Gemini symbolism should play a prevalent role in the destruction of the Twin Towers. If you go back on 9-11-2001, Saturn was in the sign of Gemini. Makes sense, right? The moon, which would be less of a sidereal question, was also in the sign of Gemini that day. But if you did a sidereal chart for that day, um, Saturn would not be in Gemini, it'd be in Taurus. So it'd be a very different kind of astrological equation, right? Mm -hmm. So to me, when I look at that event, it makes sense in a Placidus world because you're looking at a Gemini event and you're looking at a Gemini event through Saturn, which controls time. And when we see the collapse of the Twin Towers, it is the end of a particular time and the beginning of a new time with one tower to rule them all, right? Right. Another, another um, little experiment that I did is when you look at somebody's birth date or birth time. So Mick Jagger happens to be a Leo. Well, look at Mick Jagger. He's a freaking Leo, right? He's... Oh. You know, cock of the walk, right? He's a Leo. So if you were to look at Mick Jagger's chart sidereally, it turns him into a Virgo. Is, and now I ask you, is that guy a Virgo? Now, I'm not trying to make a case one way or the other. 
but based on what I've seen, right, a lot of the Placidus stuff seems to seem to add up. I'll give you one more. So there's this guy, um, uh, Tyson Fury. He's a boxer. And uh, he goes by the name of the Gypsy King, right? And he fought this guy, Deontay Wilder, and he came in to the, to the fight on a throne. And he was like a king, right? And so he's got the moniker, Gypsy King, comes in on a throne. He's a Leo. Hey, how about that, right? It all fits. You do his church sidereally, he's a cancer. That is not the behavior and not the stature of a cancer. Mm-hmm. You know, he's not the gypsy queen. So mm-hmm. I'm just bringing up a few, and I'm sure that there are sidereal cases where you could probably do the same thing. Um, I just think that Placidus, for, for me as an astrologer, works. So as a result of that, we are in Capricorn time. Mm-hmm. We're not in Sagittarius time. Mm-hmm. We're in Capricorn time. Yeah. And it is based on the change of the seasons and the uh, the uh, winter solstice, right? We are now clearly in winter. And the, 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 the seasons are based on cardinal points. So we have Aries, which is the first day of the astrological new year, cardinal point. Cancer, the first day of summer, cardinal point. Libra, the first day of fall, cardinal point. The winter solstice, first day of winter. Um, uh, I'm sorry, uh, yeah, winter solstice, cardinal point. So these are these are uh, points of initiation, right? Even in the dead of winter, right? We can initiate change. Nice. You know, it's kind. Of, it's kind of like when you have a, a, a New Year's, you know, uh, whatever the fuck they call it. Uh, I spaced out on this today. Like when you have a New Year's proclamation, I'm oh, going yeah. to do, I'm going to do this in the well. It's a cardinal point, right? You're you're mm-hmm. the reason why that became such a big deal. A New Year's proposition, whatever. It's because Resolution. it's a yes. <laughs> yeah, thanks, Nachiketa. Thank you. <laughs> For whatever reason, that word escaped my brain today. But it's a <laughs> it's a it's a cardinal activity. Right, you're you're saying I'm going to do this, right? And 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 I think that there's a reason for that. So, you know, we're we're clearly in winter, and we're clearly in Capricorn, and I think Capricorn is a very misunderstood sign. Oh, good. Uh, yeah, to be honest it never it never makes sense to me because I only have one Capricorn in my life, and I, I just can't see any parallel there. So I'm so interested to hear. Yeah, well, most Capricorns tend to be successful, and um, I very rarely have I ever met a poor Capricorn. Okay, and, and it's because they they wind up they work. It's a sign that works, and the the idea behind Capricorn is to achieve, is to achieve something. Of course, a chart is more complex than that, um, but by and large. Um, that's how Capricorns roll. When when Capricorns are younger, they tend to be older than other people. They can be much more serious than other people. Um, their childhoods aren't always frivolous or playful. They can have moments of that, but they're 
their path is usually to acquire some degree of worldly knowledge at a younger age and to apply themselves and to be more mature than other signs, right? And it's and, and, and a lot of it has to do with the fact that, say, for instance, in your part of the world in Canada, and you're a Capricorn, you're born during a time of year where if you have to do something, it is hard, right? If you have to go outside and chop wood, it's not easy. If you have to, you know, the activities require, you know, discipline, focus, right? You, you know, you can't, you can't fuck up, you know, um, during Capricorn season uh, when you're like doing an outdoor activity. You just, especially, you know, in places where it's not as convenient, you know, it's a long way to a hospital, right? I mean, you know, you just, there's a much more pointed and focused kind of approach to the world when you're born during this time of year, right? There's less light in the Northern hemisphere. So those individuals born with less light during this time of year, they're born into it. So Again, it's not like they're kind of, you know, frivolous and fancy free. Um, they're, they're born during a dark period of time. And there's nothing, there's nothing wrong with that. You know, the focus tends to be a bit more, um, uh, to some degree, introverted in learning about the mechanics of the world, right? Now, what's interesting about Capricorn, especially post-1223, is that there's this idea that more and more light comes back into the world with every single day in the Northern Hemisphere. The same could be true for a Capricorn individual, that as they get older, they tend to lighten up as time goes on. Ah. Right? Just like there's more light that comes into the world, there's more light that comes into their life. And it's not uncommon for Capricorn people to really hit their kind of play, playful and youthful stride in their 50s. And they could have very um, fun and productive and playful second and third acts in their life, mm-hmm. right? Like the Capricorn does a lot of their work up front. That's what they're supposed to do, right? They're supposed to do their work up front so that later on um, they can lighten up and play. And while everybody else is aging out, they're like, hey, I'm just getting started. Um, that's, you know, that's a basic, you know, kind of thumbnail synopsis of a sign that's very misunderstood. They can have, um, really good senses of humor, um, that can be very wry, uh, very understated, um, very pointed and, but they're, they tend to be more serious. It's a more, it's a more serious, again, they have their moments of levity. Don't get me wrong, mm-hmm. but they tend it tends to be a much more serious sign because of the time of year. I mean, yeah. we could we could look at like um, Leos. Well, Leos in the north are born during kind of the height of the sun, right? Everybody's out, everybody's playing and barbecuing and going to the beach, right? I mean, those kinds of things determine you know a personality, in as much as the sign itself does. It's the time of the year that they're born. You, you look at, um, you know, Aries people, it's like, oh, guess what? We get to go outside now. Let's go, right? Let's go. 
but let's do it. Let's make this happen. You know, but let's leave the dark months behind. So mm-hmm. I think Capricorns are very, they're, they're incredibly misunderstood, but the burden of maturity is placed upon them at a fairly early age, particularly Capricorn rising people. You know, the rising sign really determines the personal trajectory of an individual and Capricorn rising people. Definitely. I can't tell you how many Capricorn rising clients I've had and just say, Oh, I bet you were the parent early on. And they'll say, yep, that's exactly what happened. I was the parent early on because their parents were either in divorce or hadn't grown up. So they had to take care of themselves maybe had to take care of their siblings and maybe had to take care of one of the other parents. Right. Mm-hmm. So um, again, the, the upside of that is they wind up gaining experience very quickly. They learn how to supervise. They, they learn how to be independent. And uh, in a lot of ways, um, not very sentimental. It is not a sentimental sign. Truly. (laughs) I want to jump in with a really quick story about my, uh, my son. And uh, so I taught a lot of classes and workshops and various things in my past life. And when I had him, I would end up taking him out with me because I was on my own at the time and he had to come or I didn't do it because I don't really trust him with anybody. And, uh, and then, so he would jump up, say I was teaching a, you know, yoga or something like that. And uh, he didn't want to be, led and be with the people who were learning he would want to be up front teaching <laughs> like as a young toddler he was like okay now i'm gonna be guiding the process here so just to give a little credence to what you're saying so how old is your son now yeah uh, he's uh he's two days away from 17 is he's january 1. so he he was born in, in what like 2006 or 2007 was he yeah born? um yeah yeah oh one oh one oh seven so he's right. He is right at the edge of uh, Gen Z and Gen A, because in two thousand eight, Pluto moves into Capricorn, and that so that so he's right at the edge there. You, you know, even Gen, even Gen Z, Gen Z are teachers. With Pluto and Sag, they're teachers. Mm-hmm. But these kids that are born two thousand nine on, they're on a whole nother level whole other level they came in fully baked and fully baked yeah and there's a reason why they've been a target either through the protocols or some version of identity reassignment right these kids pose the biggest threat to the the architects of the matrix this generation, because they could come online by the time they're 15, 16 and, and, and start to call shots. That's how powerful they are. I'm shocked to the degree that my son is educating himself with the internet. I know that's dicey and dodgy, but uh, he has incredible discrimination. And, uh, you know, it was very tempting to hold him down and indoctrinate him, especially when everyone's suggesting poison injections and all of this kind of stuff. And I, I, I stayed in the conversation with him. I never held back and I never tried to protect him from, you know, 
not knowing what's really going on. And he just had, had this blanket, like, I don't believe you. I don't believe them. And I thought, fantastic. That means you're thinking for yourself. Right. Perfect. Right. And, and he did, it was uh, the gun laws that tipped him off. He's like, this is bullshit. <laughs> and, uh, oh, you know, like all of a sudden he saw through all of that kind of what we were calling libtard stuff happening over here. And uh, it was very satisfying to see him actually wake himself up and take the, the bull by the horns with that one. It's, it's a really fascinating time between like um, 14 and 17 years old. Um, in astrology, you know, Saturn is a 28 and a half, 29 year cycle. And there, so there, there are, are, are seven year cycles associated with Saturn. So the first seven-year cycle is when theoretically the child goes into like public school, right? First grade, second grade, right around there. It's not easy. It's like a square. It's the first square to Saturn in the individual's chart. And then when they get to 14 and a half, 15, they have the Saturn opposition. And it's a really important time because they're beginning to separate themselves from their own particular cultural influences, right? Now, what's fascinating about that is that that's really when, especially for young men, women have their own kind of inborn rite of passage with menstruation, right? Men don't really have that. Mm -hmm. But that's when they should theoretically have it is right around that, that Saturn opposition. But what, hap what started to happen in the late 50s and early 60s and then beyond is that manufacturing in, in uh, Madison Avenue and, um, you know, people like toy makers, industry, et cetera, et cetera, they decided that they were going to get into kids' heads, right? Because they're in this phase where they're separating out. And if you just left a teenager which is a made up term, by the way. But if you just left like a young person at that period alone, they could figure things out very quickly because they have very high bullshit detectors mm -hmm. and they're in that, that, that wave of separation. So these architects know this and understand this and they have made it their sole purpose to get inside of them at that point. So that when they're separating out from their culture, oh, we have a new culture and a new set of values and all these bright and shiny things that are available for you that you can attach to during this time where you're going through a major initiatory phase. And that all starts to happen in the late 50s and 60s with pop culture and the commercialization of culture. Not only that, but they also knew that all these guys were coming home from the war and, you know, were having babies like rabbits. So they knew that they had a big consumer class on their hands. So they had, they had to make sure that they sold as many gadgets and gadgets as possible. But they were clear that their goal was to get inside of those heads, right? And, and then they've just taken it so much further now, you know, to the point where, so there's this, I used to have this client a long time ago, super nice guy, two girls. Um, 
one of them was in the throes of a gender identity crisis. And this was, I think, 2000 and maybe 18 or 19. So it was happening then, right? Uh, maybe even before about 2017. So in the throes of a gender identity crisis. And I remember working with him and working with the chart and a whole nine yards, right? And, and, and I just knew that from a cultural standpoint, there was so much pressure being put on these kids. And it was really, in a lot of ways, more of a fad and a trend than anything real, right? And what had happened was that there was this kid who was in their school. He was a boy. He was uh, brazenly, uh, you know, gay, homosexual. And he was kind of like this ringleader. And she had fallen under his spell along with a lot of these other kids. And this whole idea of gender confusion was being perpetuated by this one kid along with all these other cultural inputs, right? And so you have this period of the Saturn opposition and the identity crisis, <clears throat> which comes along with that. And so they had everything ready to go. And what was fascinating is I stayed in touch with him. And as soon as she left high school, she dropped it all, right? She dropped it all. The whole kind of pronoun thing went away. She got a, a boyfriend and it was gone, right? And the, re the reason I bring it up is because there's this kind of like molting phase, right? At 14, 15, the Saturn opposition. And here we go. We're going to get in your heads. And we're going to tell you that this is how things are. And we're going to reshape your identity during that time because they know what's happening. They know that, that these young individuals are at their most vulnerable. But at the same time, as they step away, if they just, if we just left them alone, they'd figure things out. They really right? would. They, really they would, would understand what's true and real and what's not true and real. Right. Exactly. And, and if you just kind of put the guardrails up every now and then, just to kind of remind them they'd be fine. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. I have to jump in quickly and just say my son reports that about half of the, I can't, can't call them kids anymore at, at his high school, the teens at his high school do the pronouns thing. And I was happy about that because that means half are not. And even, right. even having gone through that very vulnerable stage, they have come out with, you know, no wonder they're seen as a kind of dangerous um, generation that needs a weapon against them. Because in the face of that, all of that propaganda, half of them didn't go for it. And they're probably going to, and the ones that did, there's a substantial number that will just simply grow out of it because they don't have That's that right. crisis anymore. Yeah. Right. So it's mm -hmm. like, yeah, no, I was actually really happy. And then just watching my son, I always ask him, you know, is there, was this it going on and the pronouns and going on and are the, t the teachers don't, don't buy it. His, the teachers that he's got, they just don't buy it. They don't, they don't talk, uh, you know, the, the sea change. They don't talk about uh, gender crap. They don't talk nothing. They're just not, it's like, it doesn't exist for them. So that's, that's just so hopeful. Yeah, I, it, you, you know Saul Alinsky, who was an Aquarian. Um, if you've ne if you've never read Rules for Radicals, I highly recommend it. Um, that sounds right up my alley. 
Because Alinsky, number one, understands the power and the dynamics around creating political movements and change. He and he his sources for reifying his position are classical. I mean, he will pull from people like William Blake, um, Dante. Like this is not just somebody who decided that they were going to create a manual for revolution. I mean, it's kind of rooted in some very interesting principles, especially if you're a Gnostic, you'll recognize some of this stuff. But one of the things that is part of the notes of Rules for Radicals is that you cannot, they, he called them actions, you cannot operate an action for too long of a period of time because people will lose interest. Right, people they will go lose numb. It. What's that? They go numb. That's right, and that works against the system who who uses narrative numbing narrative, repeating over and over and over. Yeah, you, right, you, and then the energy just drains out of it. So, um, exactly. even at this level that we're talking about, with the, the reclassification of gender and type and everything even that will sort of drain out and people will just get tired of it, right? Like people are exhausted around like, you know, critical race theory. They're exhausted. You know, they're exhausted around the pronoun. They don't know what to say, who to say it to, right? And at some point, no matter how hard they try to be a good citizen or a good liberal, they're, they're just going to go like this. I, I can't handle it anymore. Exactly. exactly. Right. So yeah. when, when we go through these periods of revolutionary change, they have to accomplish certain goals within a certain period of time, because if they don't accomplish those goals, people will have no interest in them. And so we have to look at kind of where we are with that. And we're in a really interesting time. Yeah, what do you see as the primary archetypes that are at play right now? Because it, as you as you opened with the the image of uh, Obama coming out of the ocean, what are what what kind of uh, trends are you seeing in that that they're they're pushing? I'm just thinking about the like the globalist art is all ugly as sin. Uh, it's it's all disproportionate people, real little heads and big bodies. It's blobs and globs of color. It, it's almost cartoony, a lot of cartoony kind of stuff. What, what are you noticing? Well, so I've been having this ongoing dialogue with um, my mother and, and my girlfriend about the types of people that I'm encountering here in this new place where I'm living. And what you're describing kind of fits the people that I'm encountering. Right. Strangely enough, right? Like I look at the human species now and there are moments where I don't even recognize it. Mm -hmm. Some of it has to do with the fact that people are grossly overweight. Um, that... And it's not just overweight, but it, it's where the weight is distributed and their bodies and 
it's just odd. It's like, I, I feel like there's this, you know, there, art imitates life, right? And, and I feel like what, what you're seeing with those weird archetypes is a byproduct of genetic modification that's taken place over the last 20 to 25 years. Mm -hmm. And the word sterilization came to mind, right? Because it's, it's taking, it takes away the beauty. There's no beauty in that, that crap. It takes, there's no soul. There's no like, you know, speaking to you with depth of, of information. And it is again, repetitive and numbing when you see it. So it's, it's just incredibly repetitive and numbing. And, and again, it, it, it's, it's a byproduct of what people have been putting in their bodies for the last 20 to 25 years. Yes. And it has an accumulative effect. And in ways that we can't even begin to comprehend. I mean, if, if you were to pull apart, let's say, a, a particular vegetable, right? Here, right? We'll use the most famous example. The first genetically modified food was a tomato from University of California, Davis. And what they did is they inserted a gene from an, uh, an Atlantic cod, right. right? Just think about that for a minute. You are eating something that is transgenic, that it is a mutation how is that going to affect you as a human, right? Oh, no big. You're just eating. No, I don't think so, right? I think that, that when, you, when we've been consuming transgenic material for the better part of 25 years now, mm -hmm. we have no roadmap whatsoever as to how that affects the species. No, no roadmap at all. And this is... This is what we know that are that are in genetically modified foods, right? The, I believe it will affect our shape. It will affect our physiognomy. You know, could somebody take on the features of what looks like, you know, an Atlantic cod in their face if they eat a lot of genetically modified tomatoes? I don't know the answer to that, but I would be willing to weigh in that it would be more likely yes than no. Mm -hmm. Right? So... You know, what, what they're showing us on their art is a representation of what the human species is becoming, which at times I don't even recognize. And yeah, the short squat blobby, I, I, no judgment, but I see it. Yeah. And strangely phallic too, on, on the a road that I walk on very often, they came along, it was it last year or the summer before and they painted this art on the road and and then they put signs up that made it incredibly dangerous for the pedestrians that are often walking on that riverside road and uh, it, it was really fun quick aside i started grabbing those signs not easy to do because they're heavily weighted and i would drag it off to the ravine and drop it in there and then you come back the next day and the the, the city guys had been up and they put the signs back up and i would come back again and like Oh, signs missing. Somebody else is dragging them off the road. There was like a, at least a few of us, and they we finally won. They they finally stopped putting them back. And and I took a good look at this art. Totally phallic. Like there's all kinds of the, the globs and the blobs, and it's like ew, right? Like it's disgusting. Yeah, I mean, I think the whole idea is to create a sense of degradation, 
and to remove these ideals of beauty and awe and wonder, right? Because it's just so much easier to um, succumb to the lowest common denominator than it is to create something that is magisterial or inspiring, right? They've got no investment in any of that. Uh, and, you know, that's a byproduct of, you know, people in these so-called positions of leadership. Um, and that now we're into the World Economic Forum territory and all these freaks, you know, <laughs> and their freak show. I think, you know, what's interesting is that in 2011, Regulus, which is the star that the fixed star that regulates, right? The the procession of the stars in the cosmos was in Leo for a very long time. And it moved into Virgo in 2011. And it's been interesting to watch how the world has changed since then. You know, you had, even though it was before that, but you had Obama talking about, well, America is going to lead from behind which is a very Virgoan kind of statement. Um, and what we've seen in the aftermath of this changing of the guard with Regulus is this weird celebration of the feminine, but not a, um, how do I say this? Um, yeah, well said already, weird celebration. It's a weird celebration of the feminine. It's And, and, and what they've what they have done theoretically is they have placed women in all of these positions of power, right? From Angela Merkel all the way down to the woman who's now trying Trump in, in, uh, in New York city. And so Virgo is a movement away from Leo, which is Kings and Queens and um, authority and divine right, divine rule, divine law, and Virgo is the people, right? It is the folk. So you can see that there's been this sea change astro astronomically with Virgo, but because it's at such a nace, and in a lot of ways, it's the way it should be, right? Like at some point, the people have to be independent. At some point, the people have to be able to run their own affairs, without, you know, the, the, the new or the old oligarchy, right? But when you have like a sea change early on, what you'll get in a lot of ways is kind of the worst version of that. And, and so what we're seeing is a, a bunch of very ineffective people in positions of leadership and power. And unfortunately, most of them are women or trying to pass as women. And it's the most negative representation of Virgo that we can see, right? So what do we have? We've got like Nikki Haley, you know, for whatever reason, Nikki Haley is supposedly leading these polls. And nobody I know gives a rat's ass about Nikki Haley, but that's the personification of what I'm talking about. Like, you know, we're just going to replace this old model with this new model. We don't even care if they're competent. We don't, we don't, you know, and ultimately that will change. But you, so you're talking about archetypes, right? And from 2011 up till now, 2023, so 12 years, we have been in this new wave of archetypes around leadership, which 
is probably the weakest version of Virgo that you're going to find. And only because somebody somewhere has deemed that this is the way it's going to be, right? Uh, whether or not they understand that Regulus has moved into Virgo, I don't know. But we're just going to put women in positions of power because, well, they're just going to be better at it than men. Well, if you listen to what Nikki Haley is saying, she's she's more of a warmonger than, you know, any of the other previous male candidates before her, right? So that's kind of a fallacy. So we're dealing with this Virgoan archetype early on, which is not the best version of Virgo. We'll, we'll get better at it, right? We'll become healthier. We don't, we'll ultimately wind up learning how to self-govern. But right now we're dealing with, you know, this, this, this feminarchy, which isn't really, it's not doing real well. Yeah. And it covers over the fact that we weren't a patriarchy either. We're a psychopath archy, right? Like that's, that's true. That's true. Right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Oh my gosh. This time has gone so fast. We're down to our last uh, six minutes or so with Robert. I know you have a, uh, a thing. Do you want to take a little pass at the, it might be a foreshadowing. There's about seven things I'd love to interview you more about at maybe another time. And you uh, started asking me some stuff. I don't, I don't have a hard drop. I just need to deal with my car at some point. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Just give me a, give me a heads up anyway. Okay. Um, yeah. So I'm working on, as I, as I mentioned, the archetypes of controlled op because I got tired of saying one phrase and having it not really be accurate to every single one. It's not, it's not a one size fits all, even though they all do fit in that category. And uh, I've identified six archetypes. I'm not totally revealing them yet, but we have mentioned a few that like you've got the, the candy man, they're selling the fear and the anger because it's addictive and that you get the numbers and you can get good advertisers and all of that kind of thing. You got the high-end hookers who have everything to lose, like um, Oprah, all those spiritual people, um, you know, dare I say Jordan Peterson. And, you know, so I was just curious from your perspective, this, this, um, you know, how does that fit in with the astrology of today that, that controlled op has become in any war controlled opposition is, is is not just predicted, but it's it's like clockwork. They 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 have to have a controlled opposition because they uh, they have an opposition, and it must go addressed. So, <clears throat> or it must be addressed. And and then, so I'm curious from your perspective, what what you've seen in that? How does that if if that all fit with the astrology and all the characters in the show? Yeah, I mean. I... I've been thinking a lot about this in terms of like Trump in uh, 2015 and 2016 and Alex Jones and Elon, you're mentioning you know, there wouldn't, there wouldn't be a Trump as we know it in some ways without Alex Jones. Like Alex Jones was really important to Donald Trump because Donald Trump was, he's changed his party affiliation five times um, between Democrat, Republican and independent. And Alex Jones, prior to 2016, was, I would say, more of a Ron Paul-like libertarian and distrustful of government. So when uh, Trump ran for president, it was clear that they, and it was through Steve Pachinik, that they wanted to reach out and connect with Alex Jones so Alex could bring his vast audience of kind of 
anarchic libertarians into the Trump camp. And when that happened, there was a whole group of alternative right people that were ready to go, right? You had Mike Cernovich, you had Jack Posobiec, and Jack Posobiec is Navy. I think he's Naval Intelligence. So you had all these people that were just lined up and ready to go. And once Trump really got his momentum up and running, they tore up the internet. Like they won the internet. Uh, and it was through things like memes. They were great meme makers. And um, you had you had uh, Keck, right? With the frog, you know, all this stuff that was kind of based, right? It turned Trump into this based character. And, and I think a lot of those people were definitely controlled opposition. Um, and they were there to you know, carry the message across the finish line for Trump. And then it's been interesting to see what's happened to that group afterwards. But there's a whole new sort of like arm of that that's formed again with Elon and, and Tucker Carlson. Alex Jones is back in the mix again. Um, I guess on the periphery, you have somebody like Mike Cernovich, not Cernovich, Jack Posobiec kind of, but so, so, so the gang's back together again, but they're new. Like, you, I guess you could throw maybe Joe Rogan into that mix. So, so those people are definitely more on the controlled opposition side because they're invested, I think, in Trump being reelected again. Right. Yeah. So the band's back together, although the the potential for more eyeballs is bigger than ever because you have Musk and you have Tucker Carlson who have huge audiences. And, you know, Tucker Carlson comes out of a deep state background and, um, you know, and he'll even allude to it at times. Um, you know, there was a period where he was at Fox and they were hot on the heels of Hunter, Hunter uh, Biden. And at one point he just said, yeah, you know, he was a neighbor of mine and I know his wife and I know his kids and I'm going to leave him alone now. I mean, he basically, that's what he said. Right. So, and, and now Tucker is, you know, really kind of getting into the ET thing, which is unusual and interesting. And he just had Kevin Spacey on his. Um, uh, yes. Podcast, I was hearing. Which is really weird, right? Like really, really weird. Exactly. Um, so, I mean, the controlled opposition is, it's, it's, it's always, it's, it's always there. You know, you know how you can tell when somebody is not controlled opposition mm -hmm. is when their numbers are low. Exactly. I want to shout out, I think, I think um, Matt Unseated was just here on the, on the stream. I just met him. He's in Canada and uh, he's very up on all the Canadian characters in the show. So I've been consuming, like he's got it going on. I'm going to be definitely interviewing him on the 15th of January. And um, <clears throat> what was I going to say? Just, uh, oh, darn it. Yeah. Like the, anyway, I have to make something up now. I'm just, I'm just, uh, I'm just glad. Well, that rebel news is completely controlled opposition. Right. Right. You got it. Which yeah, is Canadian. You got it. Exactly. Yep. Yep. Yeah. They're a big one. And, and so, you can even you can even like like they were prepping Yavi Ameni, 
Um, did I freeze? We can still hear you, but your image is frozen. Yeah. Okay. I could. So they were prepping Yavi oh. and many. Okay, I'll just quickly finish this. Sorry to interrupt, but he had he had a very small audience, and I'm like, yay! He might yeah. be he might be the real deal. There you go. I knew I was that's going. true. I mean, if if you have a small audience, there's a good chance you're not controlled opposition because they they don't they don't want to invest in your numbers. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And you're not getting boosted, and uh, and you don't have that artificial means of getting yourself out there like all these guys do. So, um. Yeah, that's uh, there's a, there's a lot. It would be a good. Oh, maybe we're losing. I'm back. I'm there you are. Back. Yeah. There you are. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. Really good. Yeah, it's quite a see. It is something that I feel. You know, like what's the purpose of of doing this overall? Is that so people can not just point their finger at the Alex Jones and the Joe Rogan and Trump and everybody and 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 learn to parrot that controlled op kind of thing, but so that they can see the signs for themselves. And, and, and let it steer their senses. So <clears throat> when you see somebody, you know, trying to make a whole bunch of money on the movement and they're selling gold and, uh, you know, scaring people and then the, and with, with the doomsday scenario and then they're selling the prepping uh, meals or supplies and, you know, there's, there's a lot of different angles that when, when there's a lot of money to be made in war. I think is is what it comes down to, at least for that category. Well, there's two things that motivate people to purchase something. And one is fear and the other is envy. That's it. So if you're in the prepper world, you're gonna be you're gonna be selling fear, right? If you, I think if you're in the self-improvement world, you'll be selling envy. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. The fear, the fear part too. So it, it's a big subject. I don't feel like I'm really doing it justice to just jump in and, uh, and, and get you to, but I'm glad you're thinking along those lines. And uh, I've got Freeman coming on January 8th. Also, it turns out he's totally into the subject. So I had a good talk with him the other day and, and we'll bring him on. Rose triple seven is coming on, on the second. So just around the corner on Tuesday to, to talk about this as well. And, and I feel like if people just had the skills to, to see the signs themselves, because I'm, I'm a pattern hunter, archetypes, just as yourself, Robert, this is how you can just see, are they a Virgo or not a Virgo? You know, are they a Gemini or not a Gemini? You can, a, a good pattern hunter could just, uh, uh, you know, wouldn't have to get a whole lot of data to see that it is or it isn't. And I think the hardest, um, thing to do is to not become jaded and cynical because it's very easy after a period of time to understand that most of the people that are representing um, news or representing information have, a, have a, a, they're like a limited hang. Right. So if you understand that, um, and you look around, you say, well, what's real, right? Well, what's real? Who can I trust? What, what can I believe in? And that's part of the story as well, because ultimately they want people to feel disenfranchised, cynical, um, cut off, and not to believe in anything. And 
Right. And, and, and I think it's important to cultivate values and to cultivate um, things that have meaning for you as an individual or your family or your community. Um, and that's vital because if, if the goal of the individual is to take away things that aren't real to, uh, you know, pair away at the illusion, you have to replace it with something else. You know, mm -hmm. the person has to have a raison d'etre. You, you need a reason to live. Boom. And that's, that's important. You got it, Robert. That's exactly it. As soon as you take the meaning and the purpose away, you have, you have cardboard characters that you're dealing with, with disproportionate yeah. bodies and, and heads and, and, and not a lot of heart going on there. The trust is something that it's very, very big. I noticed in, in, you know, the 2020, the big archetype that came forward for me were two of them, but one, one very obvious, the child. Right, we got stickers on the floor. They're they're pointing at you, telling you to go home. They're it's giving true. you right. And what is one of the deepest desires of the of the child is to trust. Yeah. And and that's what we did. We started looking everywhere. Like, who do we trust? Who do we trust? Is it the doctor? Is it the lawyer? Is it the politician? Is it the oh no, none of those? So then, you know, all our characters show up, and we desperately want to trust them, but. Uh, few years into it, you start seeing like, oh, controlled up, oh, controlled up, oh, controlled up. They're taking us sideways. And to me, that was a very beautiful lesson in, in don't, you know, the Bible says, don't trust any man. And I even will say, don't trust yourself. Neither should you mistrust yourself, because that's a different thing. But, but who is trust for? It's for God. That's right. who I trust. Yeah. 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 No, I think that that's, that's really well put. Um, who was it? Was it was it uh, Aquinas? All roads lead to the city of God, right? So even the time that we're in now, the 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 cul-de-sacs, um, you know, the uh, one-way streets. Eventually, we'll all get there. Amen. Yeah. <laughs> That's beautiful. I love it. And so are you overall, if we start to close up just to honor your time, uh, are you are you optimistic about 2024? What we're what we're headed for? All the areas depends on what you're looking depends on what you're looking for. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. The youth, the, the you talked about self-governance, um, you know, people creating in their own image rather than following all the prescriptions that are coming our way. I, I, I think if you are, because Aries energy is going to be a really uh, big deal in with the eclipse and the true note. Also, we have this major Mars cycle in Cancer, Cancer, Leo, Cancer, um, that is going to be a, a play a big role in 2024. If you have any investment in being independent um, and willing to defend your turf, which is what Mars and Cancer is, mm -hmm. this will be a good year for you. Nice. If you do not have any investment in being independent and defending your turf, this will be a terrible year for you. 
So that means that in many cases, um, people are going to be on their own. Mm -hmm. And that's not a warm and fuzzy proposition given the state of immigration into this country and even in other parts of the world over the last three years. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I don't, you know, I don't mean to sound a, uh, you know, frightening alarm here, but uh, my advice to most people is to figure out how you're going to get through a time where if there is a crisis or an emergency, there's a very good chance nobody's going to be there to help you. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Which we've seen more and more in a growing way anyway. <clears throat> so yeah, it's a, it's a continuation of that self-responsibility, self-empowerment and, uh, and self-leadership you talked about that, that, uh, you know, step forward and be in, in your, sacred purpose where where you have skills and you have talents and you have gifts to offer and 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 we can show up for each other is, is how it's sounding to me yeah i think that's important because not everybody has all the gift gifts and skills and talents unto themselves right and there's also factors of age you know there are people who are older and um they just can't do as many things as they used to do Right. So one of the things that is really important is you, you got to know your neighbors and you, you have to start building bonds with people. Exactly. Um, and, relationships. <laughs> and that gets back into our discussion about being in a low trust society. Like, you know, how do you do that with people? How can you have, you know, meaningful relationships, um, in in a in a very compressed time frame because mm -hmm. that's what we're dealing with right everything is going to accelerate exponentially right. so how you know, and 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 trust takes time with people right it, you know you need to be able to understand a person and see them in action over a period of time to know whether or not you can you know bring them into your life we may not have that luxury mm -hmm. right we, we may have to invest in people with very little sort of, you know, topical knowledge. So that means that you have to sharpen your instincts. And that gets into uh, recognition, which is what you're talking about earlier, which everybody should really develop and pay attention to your environment. Really pay attention to your environment, pay attention to the people around you, pay attention to people in the stores that you shop at. Right, just pay attention to what's going on. And if you pay attention, you'll begin to see patterns emerge. And when those patterns emerge, you can do something with that information. So that's really important. Um, yeah, figure out who you can bond with. That's if you don't have that in a period where systems and services feel like they're going to be less online, you're going to need some of those people. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well said. We'll definitely take a uh, moment and visit Robert's website, which is <clears throat> robertphoenix.com. 
And you can see here, uh, you're still doing um, personal readings for people if they want oh, to. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I'm, nice. I'm very busy on that front, yeah. Nice. Yeah. Well, I might show up on your doorstep for that as well. And uh, you've got the podcast that we talked about. So go and have a listen. Beautiful website, by the way. You've done a really nice job with it. Thanks. It's about to change. <laughs> it's about to change. So enjoy it now yeah. while it's yeah. still up. <laughs> yeah, very good. Yeah. Oh, yeah, this is lovely. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much, Robert, for joining me. It's been a pleasure. I, uh, I think we w went in a few different directions, but maybe I can have you on again in the new year. I'd like to talk specifically about the king archetype. That's that's another big one. I think it probably will be fitting with the Aries. That, uh, yeah, you know, this is great, Beth. It was really interesting because, uh, you know, as I had shared with you, I was I was just thinking about you in like, I don't know, 45 minutes later, you texted me. Wow. Amazing. There you go. Yeah, it, was really, it was really cool. It was like, oh, yeah, Beth Martins, archetypes. Yeah, yeah, archetypes, Beth Martins, astrological archetypes. I was just thinking about it. And then there you were. I was like, this is great. This is how it's supposed to work. That is and, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I've been appreciating you. So thank you very much for doing what you do and and that you keep going. And uh, thanks to everyone that you brought over, your friends in the chat. Nice to see all you guys. And uh, if you haven't yet taken in this channel, there's there's a lot here. I've been focused on some health stuff lately. We're going to go full on with the controlled op and just get to the bottom, do as much as I can to help people be skilled in recognizing those patterns, like you said, so you can pay attention. And uh, then is there anything else before we... No, I just wanted to say thank you as well, Beth, for your, you know, your efforts and your ability to grow. I mean, you've, you've grown tremendously um, in terms of your awareness and, and um, you know, dropping, you know, things that haven't worked for you along the way. And, you know, it's not everybody can do it. And, uh, and, uh, you know, I think whenever anybody does something like that, it's a victory for all of us. Mm -hmm. So just congratulations on all your growth. And I wish you nothing but success and health and, and uh, continued um understanding and depth on your journey thank you how beautiful is that robert it's very mutual all right you take yeah. good care Beth. okay thank you you too bye for now okay all right everybody well that was fantastic i thoroughly enjoyed it and uh sorry it's getting all dark and spooky in here i am still in denial about the time of year that it is when we lose our light but I'm going to call it a day. We will be back here on the 2nd with Rose 777 with any luck and talking in more detail about the archetypes have controlled up. So thank you, everyone, for joining. It's a pleasure. If you want to uh, see more about me, there is a lot of details and links in the show notes. You can always visit bethmartins.com. There's a copy of my book, Journey, a Map of Archetypes to Find Lost Purpose in a Sea of Meaninglessness. And uh, I get fantastic feedback about this book, and I hear people re are re reading it and rereading it often because it's something that you can't learn enough about yourself. And if you know yourself, then you're not going to be blindsided by nearly as much crap as other people do are, are and do. So I love you guys. I hope you have a, a great rest of your day. We'll see you back on Tuesday. Bye for now.